This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Appreciate you being with us. Thanks so much for being here as we get closer and closer to a Christmas like no other. And good news, Anthony Fauci says we can't have Christmas. Good. Thanks, Anthony. He says, well, it's harder on him because he has his birthday Christmas Eve. But I digress. Byron York will be here. He believes the president uh, should move on and focus on Georgia, then getting back those four years. We'll put in perspective what's happening inside Washington. We also will be talking about the chances and what the mood is in Washington we played it yesterday almost as it happened, the blow-up between Ron Johnson and Gary Peters and the, the hatred these guys have for each other and the parties. Um, it just was all out there. It was one of those fights that was going to happen sooner or later, and we watched it. I'll play some of it, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Chinese spies are cultivating politicians all across America today as we speak. China plays the long game and it is looking to cultivate people who might rise to higher office in this country. The China threat is real and it is pervasive in our country. And if you remember, it was Tom Cotton that said we should ban flights from China. This pandemic is bad. The president did it days later. Bigger than Swalwell, the China challenge. They target our lawmakers, take advantage of our universities, foment division in our country and now poison us in this pandemic. It's about time. We combine Democrats and Republicans and take on the China threat and admit we are in a global war against that evil empire. Number two. What we expect, unfortunately, as we go for the next couple of weeks into December, that we might see a surge superimposed upon that surge that we're already in. It is not too late at all for us to do something about this. Yes, Anthony Fauci, you always say such insightful things. The COVID care package could be coming to your doorstep as a deal seems close to being done at week's end. The details and the sticking points coming your way. On the vaccine, move over, Pfizer. Welcome, Moderna. We should get something within our show, and then we could get something in our arms. I mean, it is going to change and help the market and hopefully stop the shutdown mania we're witnessing. America, though, is speaking up and pushing back against idiot politicians and get this uh as i mentioned earlier fauci wants us to forgo family thanksgiving excuse me family christmas really number one i'm absolutely calling on a special counsel to look at all things hunter biden to see if he presents a conflict for the biden administration regarding his business dealings in ukraine and any activity have in the chinese government Lindsey Graham in the hallway. Hunter Biden, you are in big trouble. And hold on tight, Joe. You are come, This show is coming to you. We're going to discuss the old, I mean, new revelations that help crystallize why we all should care about the Biden family's China ties and beyond as calls go out for Trump to appoint a special counsel. I actually agree with Rand Paul on this. I'm not for a special counsel. We just do an investigation. And just find out if this guy's compromised and find out if Joe Biden is actually getting compensated from the Chinese government and then understand that everything he does is going to be under a microscope under that premise. 
And unlike Donald Trump, who came out and said, I know nothing about Russia, Joe Biden doesn't answer any questions about China, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Romania. This is Hunter Biden's portfolio. Here's Lindsey Graham. Cut one. I'm absolutely calling on a special counsel to look at all things Hunter Biden to see if he presents a conflict with the Biden administration regarding his business dealings in Ukraine, which is overrun with Russian agents and any activity he with the Chinese government. Uh, I don't know if that's the next best step. Let's just do the investigation. I know this, that these revelations that are out now, it isn't, I heard, I have a source that says there's a dossier in Russia that shows businessman Donald Trump doing horrible things with prostitutes and Vladimir Putin has the tape and he's going to hold that over his head now that he's president of the United States. No, got emails. How about this? June 17, 2017. Hunter Biden talking to Zhao Runlong, not an American, at the C- at CEFC, their national energy company. Uh, this was translated. I hope my letter finds you well, Hunter writes. I regret missing that you on your last visit to the United States. Please accept the best wishes from my entire Biden family, as well as my partners. He added, we're all hoping to see you again here soon or meet you in Shanghai. He concluded with the, uh, the establishment of Sino. Hawk Holdings. That was his way and the name they came up with to talk about the American and Chinese company that he was forming, the fund that he was collecting for. It was a joint venture with a guy that he evidently feels pretty confident is fun to work with. And looking forward, he says, to introducing you to his business associate, Tony Babalinski, who he wrote would act as the CEO. Anyone who wants to poke Tony Babalinski and his credibility Just understand, he's got a ton of it. He's got emails and text messages to back it up. This is more proof of it. Quote, he's a very close friend of James Galar and the Biden family and joined our team to focus on the execution of things as a partner. He has invested capital all over the world for some of the world's wealthiest families. Bobulinski is very rich. Another portion of the note I'd like to share with you that Bobulinski had sent a request to Doug Guangdong, and I say that name because it should sound familiar, because he's sharing an office with Hunter Biden, and Hunter Biden asked for keys for Joe and Jill, but of course it doesn't go to Joe Biden. He just wants keys to the office with Mr. Dung there. (laughs) I would appreciate it if you will send uh, that quickly. He's asking for—excuse me— He's, a, he's requesting that Dong Gua, Gua, Gong Wen, Director Zhang, he's requesting $10 million. And can you wire it? Quote, I would appreciate it if you would send that quickly so we can properly fund and operate Sino-Hawk. He goes on. I'm sure you have been well briefed by our friend, Dr. Zhang, on the political and economic connections we have established in countries where you're interested in expanding during the coming months. I look forward to our next meeting. I'll read some more of that. But does that bother you that you're getting this now because maybe your account got frozen when you tried to forward this story or your friend did? Well, you don't get the New York Post because we're a national and international show and you don't uh, shell over the 75 cents an issue. It's probably like four bucks now. And you don't download it because it's not the Washington Post and New York Times who thoroughly ignored the story. Please don't tell me this doesn't go back to Joe because we've got emails that says the big guy needs 10 million. And we have emails that show he's complaining to his daughter that he has to fund his dad 
and he would never ask his daughter to do the same thing. Cut four, Tom Cotton. Just a small stocking stuffer, $10 million wire to Hunter Biden's otherwise bankrupt company. This email, along with so many other emails we've seen over the last couple of months, uh, raises serious questions about just how much not only Hunter Biden, but the entire Biden family was doing business with Chinese entities. Uh, It also reflects very poorly on the uh, media for not digging deeper into uh, all of this before the election. Listen, we dug. You weren't paying attention. He wouldn't take a question. He wasn't asked the question for the people he sat down with. I have no idea if they told CNN, don't ask about Hunter, because as the president told me Saturday, I don't wish any ill will on Hunter Biden. We would just like to find out if the Biden family fund has sold out our country and now has undue influence on our foreign policy. Is that too much to ask? I hope not. Mark Thiessen, cut cut 11. There's a reason why Ron Johnson was channeling his inner Tom Cruise today. Uh, It was because, uh, (laughs) you know, he he was the one who was the pointy pointy edge of the spear in in making the case that there really was something here when it came to Hunter Biden, and everybody dismissed it, and Twitter suppressed it, and the media refused to cover it, and it turned out they were wrong. Uh, I'm not suggesting that there is a there, there there's no evidence that there was a conspiracy uh, to uh, to uh, change the election results or that the election was stolen, but there was an unprecedented use of there were real problems with the unprecedented use of mail-in ballots. Yes, and that's why that conference was uh, noteworthy yesterday, and we played some of it because you had lawyers who went inside Wisconsin, Michigan, and Georgia. And um, Nevada, and they said, listen, we got huge problems. These guys are voting twice by tens of thousands. We've got huge problems. We have uh, people from outside that state that voted in the election. we got big problems because judges didn't see our case that were made. And it was time to put that in a space where people could see it, witness it, or sample it. For the, for the Democrats, the fired Homeland Security guy, Chris Krebs, was there, and he said it was the cleanest election ever. Internationally, that might have been the case. But domestically, there were problems. Fair enough. There's always problems. I, I don't, I'm not smart enough to know if it changes the election, changes the outcome of a state. But I also know that what gets to the president is he got a ton of votes. Republicans had a, actually a great night on November 3rd. He got 11 million more, but he didn't get enough. When we come back, I'll take your calls and then welcome in Byron York, 1-866-408-7669. There is a lot of good news. There's a deal cut in Washington. I'm going to go over the details. It's going to be formalized as uh, probably over the weekend, but could be basically framed out by Friday, maybe even today. Who knows? It seems like I got so many details. It should just be signed by this point. And then we'll talk about uh, what's going on in Georgia as well and then give your get a sense of uh, how, the, how we might be in a different era when it comes to Democrats because they are beginning to tear each other up. And they haven't even taken the White House officially yet. President's still fighting it out. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show on a very snowy northeast day. But we got through the snow. I was able to put on some waterproof sneakers and get right back into the studio. Thanks so much. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. 
From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We are conducting a statewide signature match study with a research team from the University of Georgia. This team will will work to restore faith in the process and put these rumors to bed once and for all. We will continue to try and answer each and every question. The facts are on our side. There are those that are exploiting the strong feelings so many of President Trump's supporters have for him. Unfortunately, through this election process, as we have seen through elections through the years, truth has become a casualty of the campaigns. But there's problems. There were problems. And that was the Georgia Secretary of State, who's a Republican, and he has pushed back on the administration. But now he's given in here because I think he knows the president's right. They're going to study the mail-in ballot signature verification system. Remember, the mail-in ballots, a lot of them went to people out of state. And remember, this Secretary of State tragically lost his son two years ago. His son got a ballot to his house, written, sent to his house. So he knows there's problems on the rolls, and there's no might have been problems with the signatures. The president's been pressing him to get it looked at. And as Rand Paul tweeted out yesterday, he said, I believe fraud might have stolen this election. But as he just told us on television, the problem with the, with the situation is the lawyers weren't in place then. It's almost impossible to do in this short turnaround. Linda, listen on WIBX in Utica, New York. Hey, Linda. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Um, listen, I-, I watched the hearing yesterday that Ron Johnson was heading and um, was really encouraged because it felt as though, um, you know, they were starting to acknowledge all the evidence that's out there of election fraud. And then after the hearing, when uh, Ron Johnson walked out and the reporter asked him, so um, do you acknowledge that Joe Biden is president-elect? He said, of course I do, and I will not stand up on January 6th. I was, like, flabbergasted. What was that hearing all about? Well, it was trying to find out for the next one, and if there was something egregious that could be explained that they could follow up on. But you have to understand, Linda— 
the, the president's got to go prove it in these states, not to Ron Johnson. So what Ron Johnson wanted to do is what these judges weren't letting him do in some cases. And the judges weren't hearing their complaints in Wisconsin. And in Nevada, ruled against them, but he wanted to give the, put them front and center. Because in terms of this election, uh, I don't see anything stopping January 6th from Vice President Pence gaveling in Joe Biden. What we want to do is straighten it out and to give the president uh, assure the January 5th win, keep the Senate, go make sure he gets the House for Kevin McCarthy, and then go back to the White House in four years. I think that's got to be the plan, although the president uh, just tweeted out, or did last night, uh, Mitch, 75 million voters, a record for a sitting president by a lot, too soon to give up, me and Mitch McConnell. Republican Party must finally learn to fight. People are angry. Thanks so much uh, for the call. And uh, with Georgia, with Wisconsin, with Michigan, with Nevada, uh, the president, Arizona, the president is not happy. So here is uh, Matt Towery. On the Georgia election, despite the radical left-wing candidates, I'm not saying they're not good talkers, Reverend Warnock and John Ossoff, the Georgians haven't made up their mind yet. Who should represent them? Purdue or Leffler. Listen to what Matt Towery said. He's chairman of Insider Advantage, a great polling company. He was on with Sean last night on TV, Cut 34. I've run enough races myself in Georgia over the years to know that this is way too close. I, I'm looking at the turnout right now uh, that we're seeing in the early voting and the um, absentee ballots that are coming in. This is going to be razor thin, very tough. And Donald Trump is going to be what's going to have to push these two over the edge. They're great candidates, but they can't match Trump for turnout. And the turnout is what the Republicans need right now more than anything else in, in Georgia. Over 700,000 Georgians have already cast their vote with nearly three weeks until runoff elections. What I feel good about is that Carl Rove is the money man there and the organizer. And he, this guy is as smart and experienced as anybody. He's more confident. Cut 33. We know exactly where every one of those ballots were cast, That were, where somebody voted twice, once by mail and once in person. We know exactly where those precincts are, and those precincts are going to get special attention. So this mistake is not done again. So if the ACLU or the temp agency attempt to pull a fast one, we will be there with Republican poll watchers and lawyers to make certain it doesn't happen. All right, and, and he would do that, and he also talked about don't get intimidated by Stacey Abrams. The numbers that she's putting up are not accurate. Uh, in terms of people that she's shining in and signing in and first-time voters. Republicans hold a slight edge in the latest poll. I believe this is an Emerson poll. Uh, David Perdue and Kelly Leffler have the same advantage. They currently have a slight lead over their challengers. Both have 51-48 advantage. Emerson tends to lean left, so that's certainly a good sign. But anyone who takes this for granted is crazy. Meanwhile, Vice President Biden is ducking every hard question and making interesting statements uh, including uh, that he, of course, as Pete Buttigieg, as a mayor of South Bend, is uniquely qualified to be the secretary of transportation. That should be interesting. So not saying he's not bright uh, at all, but he also, as he's, he's, um, he's gay, he's, he was one of the first uh, successful politicians who came out and said uh, he's LGBTQ, but he also uh, was somebody who is now a secretary who uh, a sitting secretary who's going to get confirmed by Congress and will uh, will be a first, although Rick Grinnell was confirmed by Congress to be ambassador of Germany, not as director of national intelligence. But listen to Joe Biden screw up his husband's name. Cut 35. And by the way, Jill and I have always enjoyed seeing Pete and Kristen, or Chaston, I should say, together on the trail. 
Chaston has become a close friend of Jill's and mine. And what I admire about Pete is he's always clear about who he is, what he believes, and how he wants to bring people in, not exclude them. Okay, get ready. A carnival of, of name monopoly. Uh, Kirsten and Chaston. All right, Kirsten and Kristen, I can understand. one 408 Byron, New York, to put this whole thing in perspective. And the deal that's going to be cut on Capitol Hill between both parties, it's going to get people $900 billion worth of aid. We'll break it down and talk about how it happened. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I asked reporter after reporter after reporter along the campaign trail, why aren't you covering this? I said, you have a laptop. You now have a firsthand witness in Tony Bobolinsky, literally the business partner of Hunter Biden. And you have a campaign in Joe Biden who will not deny the facts of this case. Remarkably, if they're not true, all Joe Biden has to do is come out and say, this is not true, this is false, this is defamatory, as President Trump did with Russiagate, which was a hoax. Kayleigh McEnany is actually doing everybody's job. Uh, Byron York joins us now. Uh, he's Fox News contributor, chief political correspondent for the Washington Examiner. Always got good things to say. Hey, Byron, I'm, I'm amazed at the substantive, at the empirical evidence, at the details from the text messages to the emails uh, to the personal testimony of this Bi- uh, Hunter Biden International Monetary Fund that he runs uh, that could be very well linked back to Joe Biden. Why are we interested in this now? Well, why weren't we interested in it before? I mean, you and I were uh, and discussed it uh, before the uh, election. Remember the New York Post uh, um, published its story on October the 14th. So there's weeks before the election to talk about it. And uh, K.B. McEnany is exactly right. Uh, not only did you have um, reports of the laptop and its contents, you did have Bob Walensky, the, uh, the business partner, uh, speaking out uh you you didn't have a denial from the um, from the Biden campaign. You had the support of some of the sort of logistical details from the <clears throat> from the computer shop owner. I mean, there was there was plenty of stuff to go on, um, but the press absolutely suppressed it. I mean, the, the one of the great powers of the big news organizations is the power to ignore. So if there's something really big happening, and they simply want to. Uh, stop the spread of it. They just ignore it, which they did. And the social media companies, Twitter and Facebook, went one step further and actually suppressed the story. You realize, in theory, it should have been just the opposite. It would uh, the, the social media groups, the big tech groups, uh, should have been the one to run the story that big media was refusing to run. But instead, they have gotten together with big media outlets to stop stories, halt them, label them as disinformation. And they almost were out of their way to make sure that Donald Trump didn't get elected again. Well, the uh, a lot of um, press outlets gave cover to this whole uh, exercise by publishing stories uh, saying that the Hunter Biden story was Russian disinformation. 
So, of course, you don't want to publish Russian disinformation, do you? Uh, and I think a lot of them uh, kind of harken back to 2016 when um, the John Podesta emails and the DNC emails, uh, which had been hacked by the Russians, uh, were released on WikiLeaks. Now, they were accurate. I mean, the content of those things was accurate. The press reported on them, but they felt guilty and felt it might have hurt Hillary Clinton. So they just didn't want to do it again. So when it was clear um, that you had this evidence, it really should not have been ignored regardless of Hunter Biden and his father. Um, Instead of looking into it, they they called it Russian disinformation. Oh, my goodness, we don't want to do that again, and just ignored it. And they continued to ignore it, by the way, until Hunter Biden himself, faced with subpoenas, uh, announced that there was a federal investigation into his tax affairs. You think there should be a special counsel? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I would say right now there's not a conflict of interest with the Justice Department investigating it. But on January 20th, there will be. I mean, uh, in the Biden administration, all the top officials of the Justice Department will be appointed by President Biden. So they're supposed to turn around and investigate President Biden's son. Uh, so I think there will be a, a conflict of interest, uh, you know, the moment Joe Biden takes office. So the, there should be uh, a special counsel, yes. All right. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, they just tend to be endless. They leak. They end up uh, – someone will end up in jail like Paul Manafort for things that he was looked at and was gotten a pass for. But I think the, the most telling thing of the emails that emerged yesterday is the request by Bobolinsky and Hunter Biden for $10 million to fund their fund. And the fact is one of the people mentioned there is somebody who is linked to the Chinese government who is sharing an office with Joe Biden. Please tell me in what planet this is not a big deal. I mean, it's unbelievable. If, if Joe Biden was like not involved in this, why did Hunter Biden want to get him a key to the office? You know, I mean, it's just it just it, and, and by the way, at the time this happened it was 2017. Biden was the former vice president, and he was uh, determined to make a lot of money fast because Biden didn't have uh, a huge amount of money uh, when he left the vice presidency and made it fast by book deals, speeches, the usual sort of way. Uh, So, you know, if if Joe Biden had nothing to do with this, why did they want to give him a key? I want you to hear, uh, let the uh, listeners hear, maybe for the first time, although we tried to turn it around quickly yesterday, Senator Ron Johnson and ranking member Gary Peters. Johnson's going to be giving up this committee chairmanship, I think, even if the Republicans or when the Republicans hold on to the Senate, if they're lucky enough to do that in Georgia. But listen to this. We're talking about election malfeasance, cut 10. The fact that our last two presidential elections have not been accepted as legitimate by large percentages of the American public is a serious problem that threatens our republic. I'm concerned that today's hearing will do more harm than good by confusing a few anecdotes about human error with the insidious claims the president has aired. I just have to point out that the purveyors of Russian disinformation, Hillary Clinton's campaign, the DNC, the Steele dossier, the ranking member Peters accusing Senator Grassley and I of disseminating uh, Russian disinformation, 
That's where the disinformation is coming. Mr. Chairman, I got to respond to that. I mean, you're saying I'm putting out Try. information. Well, one, I did had nothing to do with this report. You're you you lied about. repeatedly. I did not you lied this. repeatedly in the press that I was spreading Russian, dis, Russian disinformation, and that was an outright lie. And I told you to stop lying, and you continue to do it. Mr. Chairman, this is not about airing your grievances. I know what I don't know what rabbit hole you're running down. You right talked now. about you Russian disinformation. Down rabbit holes. Senator Paul. This is simply not. So what do you thought, Byron, as that's running through? Johnson is an exploding volcano. He had kept it repressed, and he's like, he's had it. <laughs> well, he's right, too. I mean, the thing is, is that Johnson and Senator Chuck Grassley were investigating the Hunter Biden story, and uh, Democrats, Peters and others, were doing everything they could to throw sand, thumbtacks, and everything else in front of them. And uh, including labeling it all Russian disinformation and you know, suggesting that uh, Ron Johnson was essentially acting as a Russian agent by spreading disinformation. It was all completely false. You had the director of national intelligence at the time say, look, this story is not Russian disinformation. It did not come from Russian intelligence services. And yet Democrats just kept doing that. Why? Because there was an election going on. It might hurt Joe Biden. So, they were Democrats were beholden to media companies for suppressing the story, and then uh, feeding the media companies at the same time by using their, their expertise to call it Russian disinformation. So I want to move Byron to something we really can talk about: a deal being cut that that was brought forward. Unless you want to re-educate me on this, by Joe Manchin, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, Senator Cassidy, uh, I think uh, Senator Warner. And it came from the middle, so-called middle. They said, we're tired. Leadership is not talking to each other. So a series of Zoom calls over a break has resulted in what could be a $900 billion coronavirus relief package uh, that will not include, uh, will not include, um, will not include any liability insurance and will not include direct payments to states. But they have a lot in here. First off, do you believe that Steny Hoyer is telling the truth when he says a deal could get done today officially? Well, Nancy Pelosi, shortly after the election, said that she would be open to a deal because Trump was no longer president. I mean, she was willing to stop, to stand in the way of assistance for millions of Americans who were really suffering in this coronavirus pandemic. She was willing to stand in the way as long as it might help, if it might help. The President Trump. Now that uh, the election's over, she's okay. So I think I think you actually could see a deal. I have to say, I think in the future, uh, when people look at the coronavirus uh, pandemic and specifically at the economic damage that it did, they will be absolutely astonished that Congress, after passing one uh, initial aid bill, just did nothing for months and months and months. Um, when people were, were going under, their, their unemployment was ended. You know, we have this bizarre situation here where the, the Americans who have not been affected economically by this, those who have kept their jobs, they haven't had a cut in pay, they're doing pretty well. They're actually saving more money. They're paying off debt. Uh, and then you have millions of people who are just suddenly unemployed, still are, uh, running out of uh, enhanced unemployment benefits, maybe unemployment benefits altogether, and Congress is not doing anything, even though it's clear why this 
crisis happened. The, the unemployment rate shot up because of one thing, which is the economy shutting down because of the virus. And it will reopen because of the virus, uh, essentially the virus being conquered. Uh, so in the duration, though, why not give people money? And it's just extraordinary that Congress actually didn't do anything for so long. And though they did uh, locally, they hurt the economy immeasurably. That's going to be written about in the future by shutting down businesses that are not super spreaders like restaurants that only have 1% of the spread in New York, for example, and I think 2% in Michigan. But they shut down all dining, including in Minnesota, and the fifth or sixth in terms of spreading events. But they destroy thousands of jobs in doing so. So in this Correct. package, they're going to have stimulus checks. This is a bit of a surprise. About six hundred uh, bucks uh, each, three hundred dollars per week in jobless benefits. That's a supplement. Up to three hundred thirty billion in PPP funding. We know that's been effective. Gets right out to businesses. And eighty-five point four million. Uh, eighty-five point four million Americans will report uh, are having trouble paying their bills. They'll be addressed through this. Also, they have billions going for vaccine distribution, schools, and uh, small business. So we'll see. It also goes to farming and fisheries. That'll help, and I think Joe Biden wants to go back in and start something else. Democrats are tearing each other's eyes out. Uh, You know, this happened from people in the middle in the House. They were trying to get this going. They weren't going by leadership. And now AOC is taking on leadership. Listen to what she's told the podcast. Cut 26. Are you ready to say— Pelosi and Schumer need to go. I mean, I, I, I think so. I mean, and we, we need to, to shift power. We need to make sure that we have a transition of power in the leadership of the Democratic Party. So what do you think? Is that significant when you only have a nine-seat nine advantage, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, Democrats are going to have, what, 222 seats, maybe, um, or 223. I mean, it takes 218 to pass anything, which means if uh, AOC can look at Nancy Pelosi and say, I've got six people with me, we're not going to support this or that, I mean, they're not going to pass it. What about so vote for her? When you, when you get uh, a margin that small, and it's happened before, uh, it really, really ties the hands of leadership. Just ask John Boehner when he had the Freedom Caucus giving him fits all all the time. But you know, the other thing is the the gerontocracy that is the Democratic Party now. You've got Nancy Pelosi who is eighty, you've got Stanley Hoyer who is eighty, you've got James Clyburn who is eighty, you've got um, a, a new president who will turn eighty around the time of his midterms. I mean this is an extraordinarily old leadership group in this party. And to to that extent, AOC is actually right. I mean, you know, they really can't go on forever, and they should have left the scene before now. Uh, yeah, I would think so. But I don't know if anything's going to happen now, if there's, there's another generation, whether it's Tim Ryan, Hakeem Jeffries. Republicans turn them over. Now, you've got people moving up and moving out and joining in front of the camera. There's not as much jealousy. But they just seem to lock up leadership for years uh, but yet they still get the youth vote. Go, th- go figure. Uh, Byron York, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. All right. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls. one 408 7669 Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Tom Cruise is making headlines because he got angry on the set of his upcoming Mission Impossible 7. Apparently, some crew members were not following COVID safety protocols and crews went off at them at one point saying, quote, if I see you doing this again, you're gone. You know that we're living in strange times when the most dangerous stunts on the set of Mission Impossible is when a crew member gave someone a high five. But the whole film crew does seem to be taking the incident to heart. In fact, they've already changed the name of the movie to Mission Impossible Seven Feet Away or you're gone. Well, it's kind of funny, uh, but that whole thing, it became the number one story because they say that Tom Cruise overreact. Yeah, but evidently he is on the line. He says he's meeting with insurers. He's meeting with, uh, with, uh, with the heads of major picture companies, and he's trying to get everybody back to work. He does not need the money, but he's worried about his industry, and he just snapped. I don't know what he's like. I hear that he's a normal person. You know, I don't know if you've ever starred in a movie with him, Pete. Yeah, uh, we were, we were going to be in Mission Impossible 2, but then I had another offer. And, so we never got back. Well, I was right. hoping if they make three more after this, then maybe I have a shot. Don't you think there's way too Mission Impossibles? I How love I actually, I actually love the movies. It. I was a latecomer to the movies. I saw the first one with John Voight in it. I thought it was okay. I never watched them for years. I saw the second one. I didn't care for it. But then I started watching the later ones. They're actually, I mean, you, you check your brain at the door. They're just fun. Yeah, well, he does his own stunts, and he's he's uh, he's in endlessly his 50s sexy. And he's doing these, yeah. these uh, high uh, stunts. Right, I wish him the best. Uh, so let's find out. Uh, let's find out what's going on with China. I think this whole story is getting so much bigger than Eric Swalwell. He was compromised. He was eyed. It looks like and targeted uh, by these Chinese spy who was in her twenties. They end up uh, seeing that he was a, a promising politician or be labeled like that when he was in Dublin, California, as a as a councilman. He ends up being a congressman from California, getting on the Intel Committee. And it just highlighted the fact that the FBI finally had to debrief him and say, that woman that has been a bundler for you is a Chinese spy. That woman put a intern in your office is a Chinese spy. We need to know a lot more. But guess what? Ro Kahana, Tulsi Gabbard, I'd. Two mayors in the Midwest, we don't know their names, had a long-term re- or, or a short-term relationship with these Chinese spies. They disappear afterwards. They're hitting us from every way, not just in the South China Sea. Steve Malloy, former EPA transition member, he says they're even in our politics and dividing us with clean policies. Listen to this. Cut 23. China is running a huge influence operation, as we've seen over the last couple of days revealed with the Eric Swalwell. Well, it gets a lot more serious than Eric Swalwell because you've got Gina McCarthy and Natural Resources Defense Council and probably other environmental groups. And, you know, a couple of years ago, as you mentioned, Congress was investigating whether China is funding these groups to basically wreck America through their advocacy for regulation, especially climate regulation. You know, climate is the big deal. Climate, as President Trump has pointed out, it's got nothing to do with the environment. It's got nothing to do with the climate. It's all about, you know, ensnaring the American economy in onerous regulation that's going to make us less competitive versus Europe, but will help you know, China meet its goal of being the lone superpower by 2049. And guess what? He's trying to foment a movement, China it is, to stop fracking, which would hurt us. 
and would stop oil and gas and help destroy coal, which hurts us domestically. Lost 50,000 jobs. Are they behind this environmental operation that hurts us economically and makes us less competitive? The answer is yes. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world, uh, in New York City in particular. Oh, man, uh, we got about, I think, what, a foot and a half of sh- uh, snow, stayed here last night. It was a nice little twist. Is in the middle of a shutdown where he shot. Uh, he says, "Hey, America! Hey, New Yorkers!" This is uh, Governor Cuomo, Mayor De Blasio. I think I'm going to shut down indoor dining. If you want, you can eat outdoors in a foot and a half of snow. And then they told the restaurants and all the eateries close up by two o'clock. So if you had to stay in the city last night, and I'm uh, fortunate enough, we had to, we were able to. There was no place to eat. In the hotels, there's nothing going on. It's amazing. But again, uh, this just shows you how crazy 2020 is. If you're not in the Northeast, just understand this. This is the most snow we've had in about four years, and it happened before Christmas. This is more than we had all of last winter, and it happened before Christmas. So uh, there's about 60 million East Coast residents facing storm warnings right now. Uh, we also know there's a lot more going on around the world, around the country. Emmanuel Macron tested positive. He's Prime Minister of France uh, for the coronavirus. Mike Pence is supposed to be vaccinated tomorrow. Uh, Joe Biden uh, will also be vaccinated sometime next week. Right now, the president is not. So uh, we have Lance Morrow coming up uh, next block. He is the author of God and Mammon, Chronicles of American Money, how money really drives America, uh, what it was like being a leader back then, and uh, and how we got to this this American, uh, I guess, money machine that we are today. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Chinese spies are cultivating politicians all across America today as we speak. China plays the long game and it is looking to cultivate people who might rise to higher office in this country. The China threat is real and it is pervasive in our country. And it is, and we're going to get into it. It's so much bigger than Eric Swalwell, but we got to dwell on him. The China challenge. They target our lawmakers. They take advantage of our universities. They foment division in our country and now poison us with this pandemic. It's about time we combine, yes, Republicans and Democrats to, on this China threat and confront it, first and foremost, label it an evil empire. Number two. What we expect, unfortunately, as we go for the next couple of weeks into December, that we might see a surge superimposed upon that surge that we're already in. It is not too late at all for us to do something about this. Wow. Uh, Anthony Fauci, the COVID care package could be coming to your doorstep as a deal seems close by the week's end. I'm so happy about this. The details and the sticking points coming your way. And what Fauci was mentioning on the vaccine, move over Pfizer. Moderna is coming to town. I mean, market as soon as today as the shutdown mania as America speaking up and pushing back from California to New York to Minnesota. And get this, Fauci to forego his family Christmas. So he wants us to, too. 
Number one. I'm absolutely calling on a special counsel to look at all things Hunter Biden to see if he presents a conflict with the Biden administration regarding his business dealings in Ukraine and any activity he had with the Chinese government. Uh, that is Lindsey Graham. And this is a guy he's friends with, Joe Biden. Hunter Biden, you're in big trouble. And hold on tight, Joe. This show is coming to you. We will discuss the old, I mean, new revelations that help crystallize why we all should care about the Biden family's China ties, Kazakhstan ties, Russian ties, Ukrainian ties, and beyond. And why Trump is being pushed to appoint a special counsel. I'm personally not for special counsels. They become so politicized. Then people uh, try to uh, get leaks out of it, and it ends up being dominant in American politics. Hunter Biden right now, they did a poll in the New York uh, Post. Remember the story? Post had this whole story. They're pretending like it's coming out now. The New York Post had the emails, and it was frozen famously on Twitter and Facebook and the big tech. And if you try to retweet it, your account was frozen. Why? Well, according to a New York Post poll, 52% of American people believe the media buried the Hunter story to save Joe Biden. 32% said it wasn't nothing to do with that. 76% of those who closely watched the election say the media buried the story so Joe Biden would win the election. And I am not saying anything. Um, I'm not saying anything that should surprise you. I knew this. You knew this. And we couldn't believe most of the country wouldn't know this. When we come back, we're going to take your calls a little bit later, one 408 7669 When we come back, we're going to be uh, dealing with Lance Morrow. He's author of God and Mammon, Chronicles of American Money. You're going to love this. He's covered every president since LBJ. He's going to put this era in perspective. You're going to be fascinated. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's my privilege to bring in somebody that really can put politics in perspective. He's covered every uh, political campaign and every president really since LBJ back in the 60s. He is Lance Morrow, author of a new book, God and Mammon, Chronicles of American Money. Lance, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks very much. Glad to be there. All right, Lance, first off, put this uh, campaign in perspective. I know it's not in our rearview mirror yet, but people are using seeing the divide in this country and saying, this is as bad as I can remember it. What about you? I think I would put it that way. I think um, I, I remember '68 um, very well, vividly, and uh, and the um, the divisions in the country now seem to me to be uh, very severe. I mean, everybody says that, but I think it's really true. And you have this weird meme of secession that is going around. I'm sure you've. Uh, you're hearing a lot about that. People actually talking about breaking up the country and, you know, having uh, reds, a red country and a, and a blue country and so on. Uh, so there's a, there's an awful lot of um, uh, there is tremendous division, obviously. And we're, in, we're I think we're in a state of great suspense right now uh, as to. Uh, because the, the president is still contesting the election and uh, we've got a ways to go before the inauguration and the vaccine is coming in and so on. So it's but uh, I'm sure you agree. It's it's a uh, it's a very weird and unprecedented year. And the and the divisions are, are really kind of dangerous. It, it seems to me that they're. 
two different universes uh, at work in the country in a way that I've not quite seen before. Although, you know, there, there, there have been very, very bad moments, serious moments of division in the past. But uh, this is this is uh, pretty impressive in, in terms of the uh, uh, divided mind of the country. So much has happened, and, and uh, the social media, of course, makes such a big difference in the the speed and the velocity of opinion and the and the, uh, the flash uh, the sort of flash mob effect that that one feels and uh, of course president trump is is a unique character who uh, stirs up a great deal of, of passion and so but both so, ways so, lance yeah. i mean so, i've never seen yeah, crowds yeah. gather around any politician and you you've lived it then with President Trump, they, 80% thinks he won the election. He should keep fighting. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and the strains uh, on, on the system are considerable. I think, uh, you know, we're, te- we're testing uh, how much of this uh, anger and, and uh, repudiation of the uh, of the forms and the and the disciplines of our democracy, we can take, and uh, uh, so it's a it's a pretty hairy time altogether. It's, I it's think not news to anybody. Tell you know you so you wrote for Time Magazine, you write for the Wall Street Journal. Your new book is called God and Mammon. I want to get to it, but real quick, don't you think that one of the best things that could happen is to start negotiating? Whether it's this stimulus package or it's Social Security reform or immigration reform, and the only thing that could make that happen is to have the Republicans get the Senate, and then Joe Biden has no choice but to deal? That would be ideal. If, if I, 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 uh, I certainly hope that the Georgia goes uh, in such a way that, that uh, the, the Senate will be Republican. And then the, there's got to be a return of some idea of compromise and yeah. negotiation and that we are in the same country and we're not – you can't indulge yourself endlessly in the idea that you can uh, just uh, repudiate the uh, any opinion that you don't agree with. It's got to be there's got to be some meeting ground somewhere, and I'm I'm hopeful, uh, sort of hopeful that that that's going to happen. That that uh, possibly when the when the vaccines cut in and yep. things calm down a bit, if they do calm down. But I can I think the president. Uh, the current president will have a lot to say about what, to the extent that they do calm calm down, and uh, I hope that we don't just have uh, more of this absolute um, intransigence and intractable uh, uh, feelings of, of uh, gotcha. confrontation of absolutes. Well, let's talk about America's fascination with money. We like to compete as a country, and money's a way of keeping score. Is that a good way to yep. sum up it? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, America is such a big and diverse country, and so that from the beginning, uh, to one degree or another, money has been the language in, in a way, and the measure, the way of we measure each other, the, the standard by which we measure each other. And but you also have the religious component, which is why I, I speak of God and Mammon, uh, the religious moral. Uh, element in the in the um, 
development of the country. So that Americans have this feeling that they have to be virtuous, that they need to be virtuous, that they're an exceptional people, they have a manifest destiny, and they need somehow to be virtuous or to seem virtuous to themselves. And so there's this constant negotiation between God and mammon, between virtue and greed, for example, and between the notion of money as the root of all evil as the Bible says, and the source of a great deal of good, which it certainly has been in the United States. I mean, the, 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 the great genius of the country has been the way that it has been able to uh, use its prosperity and its abundance uh, for uh, the advancement of the, of the civilization and, and the society. So it's been a constant, interesting collaboration and tension between mm -hmm. God and mammon and um, uh, I examined that in the lives of a bunch of American uh, figures. I know, absolutely. And you just see people have such greatness and opulence, it could all go away in another day. And now in this era, you got Bloomberg, you have uh, Tim Cook, and you have uh, all these great leaders, world figures, who became multi-billionaires in our country. And a lot of them could become great philanthropists. Yes, well, that's one of the points I, I talk about the, the the philanthropic reflex of the 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 way that uh, these fortunes um, uh, well, uh, the, John D. Rockefeller, for example, re regarded as a pirate and a and a malefactor of great wealth and so on, and yet in the second generation under the aegis of uh, John D. Rockefeller Jr. Uh, the Rockefeller money, money did a tremendous amount of good in universities and yeah. museums and, and uh, uh, research, cancer research and all kinds of tremendous good. So it's a it's a very interesting dynamic, and it's the it's the American dynamic, and it's uh, I found it a very interesting way of understanding the country of looking at the country in 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 tremendous complexity. Let, let me throw out a couple of other names that may be less known. You say John Brown was in the slave trade. His brother Moses was an armed abolitionist. Uh, and, yeah. And yeah. one uh, and one, uh, one of the brothers, they founded Brown University, right? Yeah. The, for the Brown family founded uh, Brown University, and they were very important characters in the American Revolution. They were among the founders of the country, and one, John Brown, not, not the— uh, John Brown of Harper's Ferry, but they, this is the uh, John Brown of Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, John Brown was a slave trader. He was a financier in the slave trade. He was he sponsored the slave expeditions to go to Africa. And his brother, a very different guy named Moses, um, became the most, arguably the most prominent and ardent abolitionist of that period, and he would fight constantly, publicly, with his brother John. And yet, uh, they got along, and they they remained. They didn't break uh, with one another, and they and so in a way, they were like a figure of the right. country itself. Um, so that it's a very interesting story. Lance Morrow is with us now. Just lastly, God and Mammon, the name of the book, Chronicles of American Money. Booker T. Washington has one of the most remarkable success stories ever. Born a slave, yeah. has no connections, ends up by pure will getting an education, impressing the uh, the uh, college he went to, the school he went to, and getting sponsored yeah. to farm the Tuskegee School. And then what he did in, in intermingling with 
America's high and mighty, raising money for that school and laying that foundation. How was he looked at then? How should he be looked at now? Well, I, I find Booker T. Washington one of the most interesting characters and, and underrated, underestimated. Uh, he was in his time uh, around the turn of the century, uh, from around 1895 through the next 10 years or so, he was the best-known Negro, as they said, and best-known best black man in the country, and he was uh, extraordinarily successful with Tuskegee. Uh, then he had a controversy with W.E.B. Du Bois, who was sort of his uh, the nemesis, and, and eventually they, they had a, a falling out and the two entirely different emphases on the way black people in America should approach the subject of money. I come out sort of on the Booker T. Washington side in that he, I think he was really a sort of, I think he was a very canny politician who understood the terms in which he lived as an American and black people lived as, as Americans. And he saw that the necessity of black people, first of all, getting a very solid basis in money and in and building a middle class so that they would ensure their rights in that way mm -hmm. rather than uh, emphasizing the, uh, the more flamboyant rhetorical political uh, approach, which, which we see all the time. And I've seen it for years and years with Reverend Al Sharpton or Ta-Nehisi Ta Coates or, or uh, Jesse Jackson in the past. And so on. But, but Booker T. Washington was emphasizing the, the middle class, the making of money, the learning of trades, the, uh, the basics of economic development. And I think that um, he was called very unfairly, I think, an Uncle Tom. But I don't think he was an Uncle Tom at all. I think he was a very canny realist who understood the, a, a uh, possibly probably the best way forward for his people. Right. So uh, I, I admire him a lot. I, I think uh, yeah. he was really quite. It's quite absolutely, a, quite especially guy. you know, uh, especially if you look at racism back then. You're talking about a guy that remembers yeah. having an officer walk in and telling his family he's free. And that's how race, real yeah, racism yeah. was then. He was a slave. Right. And then he comes out and says, okay, right. uh, uh, this is the reality. How do I succeed in this environment? How do I make America better? How do I make uh, my people more successful? Rather than condemning and uh, actions, he just took it. He took it and said, how do I accomplish this? And that's what's all in your book, uh, author of God, yeah. and, and he had nothing. God and Mammon, Chronicles yeah. of American Money, Lance Morrow, Thanks so much for sharing this story. Good luck with the book. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. All right. Go get him. Lance Morrow, with all his years of experience, has never seen America so divided. And still, money has always been a part of our story. Not in a bad way all the time, not in a good way all the time, but a part of the story. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Welcome back, everyone. You know the focus is really on January 5th. We're caught up in 2020 and the president's quest to find out what happened in these battleground states. But but January 5th will decide the direction of this country like no special election I've ever seen before, nor will we in the future. And the Georgia election is between uh, Leffler and Purdue against two left-wing candidates, John Ossoff and uh, Reverend Warnock. Law enforcement is dug in against them, these, these, uh, these uh, chairmen, these sheriffs, uh, these police officers are all against this left-wing defund-the-police move. Joining us earlier on Fox & Friends, Butch Conway. He's Gwinnett County Sheriff and Lance LaRusso. We've been with Lance before. He actually drove me to the airport once when I was late and on a book tour, and he put his flashers on, and he got me uh, to the airport, and we'll make sure a police officer did. He is general counsel for the Georgia Fraternal Order of Police. They are dug in against these two Democratic candidates, not because they're Democrats. It's because their view on law enforcement. Here's that interview. Police power showing up in a kind of gangster and thug mentality. You can sometimes wear the colors of the state and behave like a thug. Better be able to hold individual officers and entire departments accountable. And there also has to be funding for those departments on the line. All right, uh, Georgia law enforcement officials are sending a warning to early voters, saying Democratic candidates Raphael Warnock, the Reverend, and John Ossoff, anti-cops rhetoric, could undermine all the officer's ability to serve any and all officers, that is. Joining us now is the sheriff of Gwinnett County, Butch Conway, and general counsel for Georgia's Fraternal Order of Police, Lance LaRusso. Lance, as you look at both these candidates, there's barely one point separating uh, both races. But when it comes to police, what makes you think that uh, Leffler and uh, Purdue are the answer. I've spoken personally to Kelly Leffler and David Purdue. There is not a doubt that they unequivocally support law enforcement. And any senator is going to go to the Capitol. They're going to be protected by state, local, and federal officers every day so they can conduct the business of the country. And we need people up there who unequivocally, not just during campaigns that support law enforcement and both of both Loeffler and Purdue do unequivocally and have supported law enforcement. That's why we're endorsing them. Well, Sheriff Conway, uh, you're in pretty good company. There are 93 uh, sheriffs who endorsed uh, Purdue. 13 have endorsed Loeffler. So far, Ossoff and Warnock have not gotten any. Uh, what what has, gives you reservations, for example, with Warnock? Was it that soundbite that we had bumping in? Uh, when you denounce police, call them thugs, that's, that's a terrible message to the American people. It's just going to lead to more problems, more issues of people fighting with the police, no respect for the police, and that leads to sad outcomes sometimes. He uh, also, when it comes to Ossoff, he's uh, big into illegal immigrants. He wants to give them minimum wage. Uh, he wants to thank them for coming here illegally. That's insanity. We have to vet people that come into our country. Uh, We have illegal aliens that don't break our laws, that behave. Uh, Other illegals come across, gang members, drug dealers, and once we arrest them and they come to jail under 287G program, we can deport them, send them back to where they're from, Mm -hmm. and not into our community. 
that's a terrible position for anyone to have. And you're in law enforcement. Lance, the other thing that they want, they could, they are pro-sanctuary city. That makes it difficult for law enforcement. Uh, and if you're an ICE officer, you're not going to be embraced by either one of these senators. Now, the other issue that they that we hear so much from the uh, these folks is defunding the police. And tell you how naive that is. The only two discretionary parts of a police budget is training and travel, which is usually for training. So the very people that are saying they want to reform the police by defunding them or reform the police by, by additional training, they have no idea what they're talking about. That type of training is why officers have been under-equipped. And, you know, explain your position on why law enforcement is you know, needs to be defunded to the family of a North Carolina police officer who's about to be woken up and told that their family member's not coming home when he left the house in uniform. Uh, Sheriff, I got to ask you, uh, you know, if you ask me as an outsider who spends lots of time in Georgia on different uh, shoots and events, I would think Georgia, if they were going to embrace a Democrat, it would be someone like Joe Manchin, a so-called moderate. These are two left-wing liberal senators within a point of winning this race on most polls. Sheriff, has Georgia changed, or uh, why would they, or, or is this, are these polls wrong? What I see, Brian, is we have people move from Detroit to Georgia because they feel safer. That cities they're coming from are dangerous cities and dangerous for their children, so they move to Georgia, but they bring their politics with them, and they're electing the same type people they created the problems where they came from. So that changed the county, and now that county has uh, Joe Biden uh, winning this state uh, by 10,000 votes, but uh, Purdue winning by 88,000. And if you combine the jungle primary on the other side, it, uh, Leffler had, had 44,000 if you combine what he got for Collins. Uh, Sheriff uh, Conway, thanks so much. Lance LaRusso at a crime scene, uh, still with us, so we, we appreciate it. Uh, thanks to uh, both of you joining us today. And I think they speak for a lot of law enforcement men and women, and it's pretty clear. Defund the police is the worst thing you could say to a Georgian, Democrat or Republican. Real quick, uh, according to a Emerson poll, both races have Republicans up 51-48. But there's a lot of runway left on, on, this, uh, on this contest. When we come back, we'll take your calls and more. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And now it is time to clear the airwaves for Chris Wallace's new open. The chairman, the big guy, the moderator, the connoisseur, the newsman, the anchor, and always receptive voice of Fox News Sunday, Chris Wallace. Frank Bruno needs to give me a better read than that one. That was not... Uh, you know, voice of God material. Uh, that was some of my best work. Next week, talking about unemployment, will Allison, Frank, and Eric have jobs still? We'll put it this way. They'll go back on probation. They do their best work with their backs against the wall, so we'll have to put them, <laughs> put them back on probation. <laughs> oh, crap. Frank, 
Frank, Frank, do the open the normal way. Yes, the voice of God. Hurry. The chairman, the big guy, the moderator, the connoisseur, the newsman, the anchor, and always receptive voice of Fox News Sunday, Chris Wallace. That has to go in the Hall of Fame. We got Eric on microphone. How great was that, Chris? That was great. That was great. And I was right. The the first Frank was very mediocre. It was a meh. <laughs> and, the, and the second one was an A+. Plus. It, was, it was absolutely great. What about Eric's acting? Eric came on and act as if he was only going to be – you can't teach that. Yeah. You, <laughs> I thought Eric was, was a D+. Plus. He's got to improve that section <laughs> of it. No, that wasn't very good. And, and, and interesting that you didn't include Allison. I'm a little surprised at that. Well, Allison's not here today, so if you're not here, you're out of mind. You know, out of out of sight, out of mind. Wow, tough, very tough. How, so, how are you, my friend? I've just been watching you. Should we tell people what you've been doing for the last forty-five minutes? Yeah, uh, we did our in-house awards, which is the end-of-year awards. Obviously, like nothing else, we never really did these awards before, but we do it in person. But not this time. So they asked Fox and Friends to go downstairs. So I pre-taped my open at 7.30. I used uh, one of my great interviews from Fox and Friends. And I got here just in time for your open to roll. So you, were you watching all that? I was watching all that. And, uh, you know, I, I, these unsung awards, unsung hero awards. Yes. I, I think we need some sung hero awards. <laughs> ah. I, I, feel a little, I feel a little miffed that I didn't get a, a sung Hero Award. Didn't you win a big award this year? Didn't I win a big award this year? I don't think so. I thought you did. Didn't I read some on that? Are these years blending together? Didn't you get like a Peabody? No. (laughs) You want to talk about other prestigious awards I didn't win? (laughs) I did have a best-selling book, so that's pretty good. Oh, that's great. I've joined you and Lorraine Wallace as a New York Times bestseller, so I'm I'm very tickled by that. I've I've had plenty. So, Chris, you are uh, are you are you titled the, not only the host of Fox uh, News Sunday? Are you also the managing editor? No, I don't do any of that stuff. Do you lead people? Do I what people lead people Le- lead people? Lead, right? Are you a leader? Yes, I, well, I don't know if I lead. I like to think it's more of a. Uh, where is this headed, Brian? Well, there are people that are stars like you who also are in charge of the set. When you're on the set, you're pretty much calling the shots as a producer. And there's another guy who reminds me of you, and he had a meltdown this week. It was Tom Cruise. Let's listen and say, does this ever happen to you? Because it looks like George Clooney, your best friend, has sided with Tom Cruise. Let's listen. We are the gold standard. So, who do you side with on this? You- uh, well, I think this is an easy call. I, I think, <laughs> and now apparently he had a meltdown the next night 
because, of course, somebody had taped this. You know, everybody's got a, a cell phone and uh, and leaked it. And then he reamed out the cast because they somebody had 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 uh, had leaked it to the media. <laughs> so, so my reaction is I, I fully understand the idea that you're trying to make a movie and it's probably pretty darn hard in these days of COVID, and there are a lot of people whose jobs are at stake. So I can understand them being upset. Being that upset? I don't think so. I mean, you know, it's like, okay, 30 seconds, knock it off, don't do it again. This really is bad. And then you move on with your life. It would, I, I think it was way over the top, and at a certain point becomes abusive. Your thoughts? Well, I heard great things about Tom Cruise from the cops and firefighters, what he did on 9-11 with this cleansing thing they had for their lungs and and what he's done for them when no one's around, wrote huge checks, gave out cash. And I've been told by so many people, I've met him. He's a great guy. Uh, I understand, too, that he put himself on the line because he cares more about the other people than he does his job. He never has to work for five lifetimes. But that's a little bit of a self-important rant that never pays off. Don't tell me he felt good about it when he went home at night. I mean, how tight is he strung to go like this? But here's what George Cooney said, your best friend. George oh Cooney gosh. said, in standing with Tom Cruise, he's standing with Tom Cruise after the audio leak. Quote, um, he says uh, he, he's not adhering, these people are not adhering to the coronavirus uh, guidelines. He said, quote, to Howard Stern, he didn't overreact because it's a problem. I wouldn't have done it that big. I wouldn't have, you know, pulled people out. You're in a position of power, and it's tricky, right? You do have a responsibility for everybody else, and he's absolutely right about that. And you know, if the producer goes down, a lot of people lose their jobs. People have to understand that they have to be responsible. It's just not my style to take everyone to task, though. That's pretty much what you're saying, which is why he's your best friend. Exactly. I think he's he's basically saying that the point was legitimate and the method was was not. And I, <laughs> I'm like, I'm a little surprised that we're spending so much time talking about Tom Cruise. But in any case, you know, yes. But having said that, I've heard you jump ugly. I've heard you turn on a dime on your staff. That is, and that it, is, it sounds to me a little bit like you. Let me ask you, where would you get that term, jump ugly? Where did that come from? Have you never heard that expression? I've never, I've never really heard. I've heard it once in fifth grade. Hello, all right, I, 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 listeners to the, uh, the Kilmeade and Friends. No, it's just the Brian Kilmeade show. I forgot the receptive voice. Uh, how many of you have heard the expression "jump ugly"? It, welcome to popular culture in the in the first part of the twenty first century. All right, let's talk <laughs> a little bit more about arguing. Let's listen. Cut yeah. ten. The fact that our last two presidential elections have not been accepted as, as legitimate by large percentages of the American public is a serious problem that threatens our republic. I'm concerned that today's hearing will do more harm than good by confusing a few anecdotes about human error with the insidious claims the president has aired. I just have to point out that the purveyors of Russian disinformation, Hillary Clinton's campaign, the DNC, the Steele dossier, the ranking member Peters accusing Senator Grassley and I of disseminating uh, Russian disinformation, that's where the disinformation is coming. Mr. Chairman, i got to respond to that. I mean, you're saying I'm putting out Crying. information. Well, one, I did, had nothing to do with this report. You, you lied about. repeatedly. You lied this. repeatedly in the press that I was spreading Russian, dis, Russian disinformation, and that was an outright lie, and I told you to stop lying, and you continue to do it. How, how unique is that fight in c- congressional law? 
Um, no, that was I mean, that was heated, but I, there have been a lot, some that are much worse than that. Um, Ron Johnson's you know, 100% have, right. He's talking about the Russian disinformation, which is, is the Hunter Biden story, which you never said. But so many people said this is Russian disinformation, like Mike Hayden, like Michael McFaul. When we know this is these are emails from Tony Bobolinsky. And that was that is that is terrible. And I don't blame Ron Johnson for getting that mad. Your thoughts? Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I've been looking at my uh, my uh, clock here because I know we're about to run out of time. Um, I think that that uh, it, it certainly wasn't Russian disinformation. And obviously, we now know that there's an investigation going on. An investigation is not an indictment. We have to wait and see what comes out of it. But look, I I completely agree that I think that there was a concerted effort by people who wanted Joe Biden to win this election to downplay the story or just not to report it at all before the election. There was a legitimate story there. I think some people went too far because there's more at this point. There's a lot of smoke. We don't have a lot of fire at this point. But but I think it's worth reporting. And, you know, when when it suddenly came out that, yes, there is a criminal investigation of Hunter Biden, people that were relying on the mainstream media or uh, some Democratic politicians must have thought, where did that come from? Because I never heard a word about it before. I think that it was worth reporting beforehand, if not necessarily to the degree that some people reported on it. Chris, do you think you'll go down to Georgia? Will you do the show from Georgia on, uh, I guess, January 3rd, would that be? Uh, I am taking off on January 3rd, but I think the show will be from Georgia. And if I weren't taking uh, one of my regular weekends off, I would absolutely be there. And I'm going to be part of our election coverage on the on, on the 5th. Um, it's a big deal. I mean, it, you know, we're, we're to, a, people ask me, well, why is this so important? I said it's the difference between majority leader Mitch McConnell and majority leader Chuck Schumer. If that doesn't explain it, I don't know what does. It's uh, 100 percent right. And it's uh, I, I think the. I think the Republicans are going to take both, uh, and that's my prediction, and we're taping this. So your prediction? I, I'm, not, I'm a little bit like Brit Hume. I'm not going to predict. He never predict. Have you ever tried to ask Brit Hume to predict something? He, he doesn't it's really like tough. me. He doesn't really talk to he me. He doesn't like that. No, I'm, you know, I'm covering it. I'm not going to predict it. But clearly the Republicans have the advantage. It's, a, it's still a red state despite uh, Joe Biden's victory. And you've got to figure right. a lot of the vote for Biden was a vote gotcha. against Donald Trump. Hey, Chris Wallace, we're going to watch you on Fox News Sunday over and over again. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Glad to be with you, everybody. It's a big day. Northeast been slammed by a snowstorm. I know. Well, what else? You try just at a time in which both of the Northeast going outdoor dining, you have to get a shovel, uh, shovel out your table and of course the structure's gone so you can't even eat outdoors if you wanted to they shut down everything because of uh, uh, the worst snowstorm in a few about 10 years up to 60 million east coast residents are in the middle of this snowstorm that is still bl- uh, blitzing us here in the northeast if you're not I hope you're in a situation where you have a governor that lets you live your life 
and work your business. Uh, big day. We know Mike Pence will be uh, vaccinated tomorrow to show everybody it's okay. Joe Biden sometimes next week. We know Emmanuel Macron has tested positive, the uh, French prime minister. And guess what? Uh, Europe is being slammed by it. Germany has basically shut down everything, including school. South Korea is worried about another outbreak. Uh, remember everyone was blaming Donald Trump saying we don't know how to run a pandemic. Yeah, it's bad here. But we are also the ones who came up with a vaccine that actually works. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. Chinese spies are cultivating politicians all across America today as we speak. China plays the long game and it is looking to cultivate people who might rise to higher office in this country. The China threat is real and it is pervasive in our country. Tom Cotton knows it. He was the first to call out China and say that pandemic is real. Stop the flights. And the president did. Bigger than Swalwell, the China challenge. They target our lawmakers, take advantage of our universities, foment division in our country, and they poison our population. It's about time we admit we're basically at war with that evil, evil empire. Number two. What we expect, unfortunately, as we go for the next couple of weeks into December, that we might see a surge superimposed upon that surge that we're already in. It is not too late at all for us to do something about this. I am so over him. Uh, The COVID care package could be coming to your doorstep. A deal seems imminent. We also have the latest on another vaccine and the latest on Fauci telling us forget about Christmas. Thanks. Number one. I'm absolutely calling on a special counsel to look at all things Hunter Biden to see if he presents a conflict with the Biden administration regarding his business dealings in Ukraine and any activity he had with the Chinese government. Uh, There you go. Hunter Biden, you are in big trouble. Hold on tight, Joe. This show could be coming to you. We're going to discuss the old, I mean, new revelations. We have details that we did not have before, but there were a lot out that were ignored before. And we'll talk about what it means, including the family ties to China, Kazakhstan, Romania, Russia, and of course, say it with me. Ukraine. Senator Lindsey Graham joins us now. He is chairman of the Judiciary and Appropriations Budget and Foreign Relations Committee, and he'll be chairman of something if only one of the Georgia races goes the Republican way. Senator, welcome back. Well, thank you. I'll be the chairman of the Budget Committee if we win Georgia. If we lose Georgia, the Budget Committee chairman will be Bernie Sanders. <laughs> wow. Bernie Sanders. A little bit of a difference. Well, I may not be your cup of tea, but I'll be better with your money than Bernie. Senator, nothing has slowed down really for five years. I mean, the pandemic, we knew it. The election strings on. Georgia matters so much. And then the hearings about what happened in the election are so true. And these stories about Hunter Biden, they were literally squelched and have come back up in detail. But I have news for people (laughs) listening. We had the detail. It wasn't an opinion. We had all this detail. Does it bother you that people are now finding this story? Not to the way they should, but they're finding it? Well, it confirms what we already know, that when it comes to reporting on uh, Trump, there are no rules. That is true and until you can prove it to be false, that Kavanaugh did it just by being accused, that Cuomo is a misunderstanding, that the media bias when it comes to covering uh, allegations against Republicans versus Democrats is at an all-time high. Hunter Biden is Exhibit A. If this had been a Trump family member, it would have come out. Uh, it would have gotten leaked from the Department of Justice uh, long before the election. And the bottom line here is, what do you do now? So you've got a prosecutor in Delaware who's looking at tax evasion. 
let that case go forward. Hunter Biden's presumed to be innocent like mm-hmm. all of us, but it's the tip of the iceberg. What I want to know, is the laptop real? If it's real, then it's devastating. If it's not real, then somebody's very sophisticated in this world, and we need to know how they adulterated his laptop with misinformation. So no one said it's not real. Is, Nobody said it's not well, real. Well, so let's say on your show, if you've got any doubt about us being authentic, say so now. Silence is an admission here. But if there's any doubt about the veracity of the, the, the contents on the laptop, please come forward. I promise you we will do whatever is necessary to look at it. If it is real, they're in a world of hurt. This is a multi-headed monster for the Biden administration. If President Trump falls short after all these challenges are over and done and and Biden's the president, there's two things going to happen. Either special counsel, which I prefer, will look at potential criminal misconduct, conflicts of interest regarding Hunter Biden and his family relationships in the Ukraine and China and other places, or – uh, if we keep the Senate, that job will fall upon us. But somebody needs to look at the business interest of Hunter Biden, his activity in the Ukraine and in China, to see if uh, it compromises the Biden administration's foreign policy. Senator, uh, I, I was talked to the, I talked to the president on Saturday. You helped me with that. Thank you. And he said uh, for the first time, he said, "I have nothing against Hunter Biden. I don't wish anything bad on him." Yeah, and and that's just it. Obviously, he, he uh, there's a lot of people listening right now who have problems or know somebody close to them with addiction problems. We're not judging right. him. That's not what this is about, especially you. You're family friends with the Bidens. Uh, is this hard th- for you? Oh, beyond hard. I mean, I, I've known Joe and Jill for like 25 years. I've traveled the world with both of them. You know, I, I say constantly Joe Biden's one of the most decent people I've met. But we live in a country um, where we can't have – a legal system and a uh, press that just looks at one side of the ledger. I can promise you, if the shoe were on the other foot, if these emails were uh, Don Don Trump Jr. talking about giving keys to Trump and other family members about a China business deal, it would be front page news all over the world that the investigation would have leaked out if it had been a Trump child that was under investigation for tax evasion. So I have a duty to the people of South Carolina to make sure that we live in a country where everybody of importance is fairly looked at. And I'm not trying to do anything unfair to the Bidens. Hunter Biden created a condition that uh, has to be looked at that is a danger, I think, to our foreign policy. How about this, uh, Senator? He came to your uh, retirement ceremony as an officer, right, Colonel? Yeah. Yeah, so so this is one of the excerpts I think is important. He he says this in an email. Uh, Hunter is describing this to his Chinese counterpart, uh, talking about Bobulinski. He's a very close friend of James Galar and the Biden family and joined our team to focus on the execution of things as a partner he has invested capital over the world. He's talking about Bobulinski for some of the world's wealthiest families. And then he, a little bit later in the email, he says, and that Bobulinski has sent a request to Dong Guan Wen, who is sharing an office with Joe and Jill Biden and Director Zhang asking for $10 million. 
Please tell me in what <laughs> world is this not relevant? This is not on the Inquirer. This is not John Edwards with a uh, with right. a uh, relationship out of wedlock. It isn't about Donald Trump, the businessman, or the Mr. Universe. This is a lawmaker's son dealing with an enemy country right. who might be the next president of the United States. In what planet is this not big? Well, it, it's relevant to the future of the Biden administration. Joe Biden has said he had no knowledge of Hunter Biden's business activity. Well, this email would suggest otherwise. Now, I'm not accusing Joe Biden of doing anything wrong personally, but I am suggesting that Hunter Biden, his son, monetized the vice presidency, uh, received millions of dollars from foreign countries all over the world uh, because of his last name, not because of his talents as an individual. And we need to assess whether or not that's created a problem for our foreign policy. How deep does it go? How wide is the net? What did he do in China? Uh, and would it affect foreign policy vis-a-vis China? Is he compromised? Do they have something on Hunter Biden that would make it very hard for the Biden administration to move forward? I hope the answer is no, but here's what the the problem is nobody's looked. Remember in impeachment when I kept bringing up the Hunter Biden thing that the phone call was to look at Hunter Biden's activity? Well, now we know that there was a reason to believe that he was corrupt. And as much as I like Joe Biden, here's a question. If you're given the job of um, overseeing corruption in the Ukraine and making it better, how is it possible that you didn't know that your own son was sitting on the board of Burisa, Burisma, one of the most corrupt gas companies in Ukraine? How is that even possible? It's not. Uh, that's the problem. And, boy, well, that would have been interesting. You know, did Rudy go off the beaten path? Yeah. Uh, I, was he walking around You know, Ukraine? Absolutely. We can go over that over and over again. But was he— uh, was he on the right path as it was to the substance behind it? Did Joe Biden, is Joe Biden somehow, uh, you know, doing the international trade, is somebody trading on Joe Biden's name who he was in charge of that country uh, and making money on the Burisma board, which, by the way, we find out that he did not declare $400,000 worth of income. That's according to his own accountant. So do you, do you fault William Barr for not saying that they have, that investigation was going on? No, because their rules about investigations uh, are not supposed to be released because they're investigations. You know, guilt – and once you, somebody says you're investigated, then it changes your whole life. You're proven you – know, you're assumed innocent into proven guilty. This is the son of the vice president. I think it would have been improper for the Department of Justice to leak this out. It would have a political impact. Look what Comey did to Clinton. That's a good example. You don't want to keep doing that over and over again. But the media knew it's different. The media had an obligation to report matters that are relevant uh, in terms of being an investigative reporter. They chose not to do it. They knew about it apart from the Department of Justice. So here's here's the point I'm trying to make. The point is that, that Joe Biden has claimed he did not, did not know anything about Hunter Biden's business dealings. We now have evidence that Hunter Biden is setting up a, a office, and one of the keys is supposedly going to Joe Biden. Did that happen? If it did, there's some explaining to do. The bottom line with Hunter Biden is that when he was on the board of Burisma, he received an exorbitant amount of money. Apparently, a lot of it wasn't reported in terms of Texas taxes. And I just want to know, what else did he do in the Ukraine? How many connections did he have there? 
And what did he do in China? Because until you answer these questions, there's a real cloud over the Biden administration, I think. You've talked to the, have you talked to the president lately? Yeah, I talked to him last night. And how is his attitude? That you, I know it's private. Good, but. good, it's good. We talked about the uh, NDAA and, you know, about uh, Section 230. He wants to repeal Section 230. Conservatism faces two big challenges, voting by mail that's unregulated. That's a way to lose elections in perpetuity. And the other is social media platforms that censor uh, conservative thought so our ideas get suppressed. So I've got legislation that will uh, sunset Section 230, which provides liability protection to social media companies Companies January 1st, 2023. Under my legislation, uh, Section 230 would expire. It gives us two years to find a way to fix it or just let it go away. The president likes that idea. But the president believes that these systems failed, the country, just not him. And I talked about Georgia. So finally, Georgia is beginning to audit the signatures of the mail-in voting system. The Secretary of State announced that yesterday. Yeah, okay. So he's doing Cobb County, but he needs to look at Fulton County and Clayton County. These are two counties with the the worst reputation. Uh, They've had problems for years in those two counties. And here's what I hope he'll do. He'll allow an audit of not only Cobb, but Fulton and Clayton County, and it be transparent and that the campaigns uh, are, part, are part of the monitoring team. I don't want an audit that's not transparent. I don't think an audit of a single county gets you to where you want to go, but I do appreciate doing a signature audit to see if it stands scrutiny, but it needs to expand to Fulton and Clayton, and it needs to be transparent, and you need to have campaign um, campaigns able to monitor the process. Now, what kind of signature audit does it look like? Is that a machine that decides well, that the signatures Well, there's a couple ways of doing it. You could... You could run it through a machine and compare it to a database before the ballot application. You don't want to compare the the ballot, the envelope signature to the ballot application because if it was fraud, it was committed by the same person. You want a signature before the ballot application was made and compare uh, the envelope to a signature that existed before the ballot application was made for mail-in voting. Then you could do it one of two ways. You could set up a machine and see how well it does, or you could have a team of people, not a single individual, experts, forensic experts, signature experts, monitored by both campaigns, and see if during the audit you find a higher rejection rate Mm -hmm. than on election night. Lastly, real quick, do you think we're going to get $900 billion out of the Senate and House voted on stimulus? Yeah, we will. There'll be money for PPP. There'll be some uh, checks for people in the middle, low-income areas who are hurting. Uh, there's going to be some money for our, you know, for our systems on the healthcare side and schools. Yeah, it, it will get done. It would be uh, it would be really disgraceful for the Congress not to deliver before Christmas. Absolutely. We will get there. The president is ready to to sign a good package. He wants direct payments, so I think we'll get there. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, uh, making an impact. Uh, back with your calls, one 408 You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Santa and his horse-drawn sleigh was stopped 
on the road by police because Santa's sleigh didn't have proper headlights. I mean, Rudolph, you had one job. One job, Rudolph. You know, this is a serious issue. It is. Santa should have proper headlights. This is exactly how Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Uh, that was uh, James Corden. Pretty funny. Uh, very interesting. Hey, let's go out to Carl in Iowa. Hey, Carl. Oh, we're not there? All right. So we only got a minute left. That's my bad. Uh, Lindsey Graham uh, is playing a vital role. I just love having him on. He's involved in almost every major story, Republican, Democrat, uh, election story, directly, indirectly. And he also personally handing over the money that people gave him to make sure he beat Jamie Harrison. He's turning it over to help win those Republican those Republican races in Georgia. And he's one of these guys. He actually lives his salary. Uh, he has a modest house in beautiful South Carolina because he's only supposed to be making a certain amount of money. Why does Joe Biden have a compound? Maybe his dad left the money, but that would have to change the story he tells in every stump speech. A blue-collar dad who lost his job and had to move to Delaware from Pennsylvania, where they had lived a, a life in which they were uh, of hand-me-downs and make goods. So I don't really think we ever got the, that answer to that story. Well, why all these people end up uh, so rich? When we come back, we're going to be, take a, a little bit of a left turn, but one that's going to be uh, a welcome one. Uh, John Tesh's best-selling book uh, is called Relentless, Unleashing a Life of Purpose, Grit, and Faith. This guy was uh, saddled with cancer. He battled all the way back and now is telling his story. You know, he's a great musician, unbelievable anchor, cut his teeth in New York on WCBS, called the Olympics, great sports guy, too. John Tesh will join us next, and then we'll finish up with calls at 1-866-408-7669. We're about to get news. Maybe on a vaccine, a second one, Moderna, sometime in this show, and more news about a stimulus package, $900 billion. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's my privilege to bring on one of the most successful radio guys and TV guys in the history of the game. He also can do sports and he plays instruments. He took band in high school and it really paid off for him because he, everyone buys his albums. He is John Tesh. Everyone who's listening on WABC and WRCN knows that he broke in at the top in the number one market. Next thing you know, from North Carolina to, to I think, WCBS, and then he becomes doing the Olympics. His career has been phenomenal and it's been diverse. Uh, he's a former Entertainment Tonight anchor for years. His book, Relentless, bestseller, Unleashing a Life of Purpose, Grit, and Faith. He took a very negative situation, made it positive. His show is syndicated in 350 stations, and I hear it every single day. Uh, John Tesh, welcome back. He took a very negative situation and made it positive. I was given 18 months to live. Thank you, though, for, uh, for, for just laying that out like that. I appreciate it. Listen to me. I, I, when they told me that, that we were going to do this, I decided I was going to interview you. So um, Wait so a get, second. So get ready for that. John, first <laughs> off, you have to give me some credit instead of a diss. You know, you don't introduce someone saying he was given 18 months to live, and then I'm going to put you on the defensive where you got – I just said, you know, oh, he was given a negative oh, situation. Oh. I was going to let you say that. Okay. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry you took that as a diss. People who don't know, I'm a huge Brian Kilmeade fan. And Brian will tell you, I watch everything that he does. I read everything that he writes, six books. And I, 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 he made the mistake of giving me – I don't have your, 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 uh, your, oh, your phone number, but I do have your email address. So I email him all the time saying, you were great on this, you were great on that. And one of the things I, I really wanted to talk about today, and it's okay with you, is because you know we have thousands of – well, millions of people on our, our Facebook uh, uh, page, but we, thousands of people asking the question, oh, my gosh, how can I figure out what I want to do with my life? And that's, a lot of people are doing that now. Have you have you found that? Have you have you found that people are like uh, this is an etch a sketch moment for me? I just got to I have to start over. Yes, nonstop, and some it's un- you know uh, inflicted wounds from mayors and governors who don't know what the hell they're right. doing. Right, uh, right. shutting right. this down, shutting yeah, down yeah, my business, yeah. and that also right. people have free time now, and or they zoom yeah, in yeah. and they and they say to themselves, you have I mean you got this music thing you could you could do a mock stat and you could anchor like you used to on WCBS. You could, there's so much for John Tesh to do. You were also could play uh, lacrosse if you wanted. You were a college lacrosse player. I mean, you have a lot to do. I have no other skills. Oh, my gosh. But listen, I, I, one of the things I'd love to talk about, I know we don't have too much time, is, um, is just sort of figuring out yeah. how to having, – having rituals in your life and all that. And, and I don't mean for this to be the Mutual Admiration Society, but the, the, the book, that, the one book, of course, I love the Alamo Avengers, but the book that I really think people need to, uh, to embrace is it's how you play the game. The games do count. And, and, and what Brian did is he took powerful sports moments and, and took life lessons from that. And I, I, had this, I had a similar experience because when I worked for CBS Sports, I didn't know anything about sports. Listen, I mean, Terry O'Neill hired me out of CBS News. And I, I was just like, hey, well, you're a reporter. You can figure it out. So they sent me out to do the, the sports that, you know, not baseball and football because I would, I would have cratered and, and burned, burned down on that. But I, I did downhill skiing, right, and gymnastics and figure skating. And so I found myself many times interviewing people like, for example, downhill skier Franz Klammer. And, and, you, and you watch these guys, right? He didn't speak in English. You watch these guys before they're in the start house and they're going to go 70 miles an hour straight down on the honeycomb in Austria. And all they do, it's all visualization, right? I mean, they've already trained and all the rest of that stuff. But that, that I, when I was writing my book, I looked back on it and I said, I need to, I need to think like, like somebody in the, like, like a world champion or, or, Olympic, or an Olympic champion. And what they do is they can actually see the finish line. They can see every one of the gates that are before. They can see every one of the obstacles. They can see the puck, you know, Gretzky. They can see the puck going into the, into the goal. And I, I think that's probably what you found when you were doing that book as well, is, 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 is the power of visualization. Visualization, I think, is one of the keys. Uh, you know, you got to picture it before it happens. Uh, and one of the first person to write about that that I saw was Zig Ziglar. And then Anthony right. Robbins wrote a couple of books. And they're dense books. It's not, they're not a quick read. you got to think about it. And then the, uh, the Magic of Thinking Big, right? Um, right. And there, there's right. all that, that that book called The Secret is Visualization, Picturing It Before It Happens. So training your mind to look for it and do it. So everyone's going through these difficult times. A lot of it's resulting in divorce. A lot of times it puts such strain on relationships and unnatural strain. I just read something mm-hmm. this morning that there are more, the, the rise in teen suicide. And one right. out of every four teens has thought about suicide over the last year. Think about that. Teens are supposed to yeah. be carefree, yeah. 
and they can't play sports. Yeah. They can't try to get into a college. They can't go to a career day. A lot of them can't see their friends in your state, in California. Right. I mean, he just shuts right. everything down. In New York, the same thing. It's happened uh, two or three times. And kids aren't built for this type of stress. I'm going to tell you something. We, I have three grandkids, right, under the age of, uh, of, of nine. And we can already see it with them, where there's even even with one of them, there's regression where she's gone back to sucking her thumb because they Zoom calls do not work for kids no. that are you know nine, six and four. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right with you on this. So, John, what do you want to relay? I mean, you have an, you have a syndicated radio show that it looks at the brighter side of life and tells us great uplifting stories. Uh, but what, what do you want to relate to people listening right now as we go into the holidays, knowing Anthony Fauci just told us, let's not see anybody on Christmas? Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Well, I'm a big fan of civil disobedience. Um, I, I'm also uh, I, I'm also um, a Christian. So, I, you know, I I believe that um, that all that our lives are essential at, at whatever level, you know. Uh, I mean, one of the things that, that, that the advice that I give people who ask and the advice that works for me, uh, it takes like, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, Admiral uh, McRaven, who, who led the Navy SEALs yep. for so many years, he, he wrote that a great book that was originally a, a commencement speech, which was Make Your Bed. And the reason that's so important is that you want to know what the Navy SEALs do to be successful. You want to know what they do to actually make it to becoming a Navy SEAL, right? Um, and, and the whole thing that, that he was talking about is you, you have to start your day with a win. And there's, I'm, a, I'm also the fan of Charles Duhigg, who's a researcher, great writer, who wrote the book The Power of Habit. And so, and so he says making your bed every morning. It sounds so simple, right? But it, it is actually data-driven, correlated with better productivity and a greater sense of well-being. Um, and he calls it key, a keystone habit. So my keystone habit, I, I don't make my bed. I, I'm terrible about it. I, I mean, Connie <laughs> will redo it, my wife. But my keystone habit is I get in the gym. I have, a, I have a boxing timer. I don't box, but I have a boxing timer set for 45 minutes every morning. And it dings. for, for I work out for a minute 30, and then it dings, and I get the rest for 45 seconds. And that is my win. It doesn't matter what I do. I can do push-ups, sit-ups. I can, I can do fast walking. Or, Interesting. Or, 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 yeah. But, but that's my win in the morning. And when, if you don't have that, you end up doom-scrolling with all of the stuff that's going on, especially right now, right? I mean, I, I don't even know how you could possibly order your day. I would love to know what you do in the morning to get started. Uh, well, I'm up at uh, I'm up at two thirty. What I think I do, and right. I do it for America. I shower, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then and then it's uh, off the races. My busiest time is from three a.m. until five forty when I go downstairs and do uh, and go to the studio. So that's my busiest time of the day. So I, I prepare for both these shows back to back. So I have no real creative decisions to make until twelve oh one. Right. So, right, right. I, so I mean, that's why I'm the luckiest person you're listening to because I was able to keep my job and do my job and talk about the things that everybody else is talking about. Well, I mean, I want to. I, I, and preparation is such a big. I watch you and I watch all the different things you do, whether it's doing Fox and Friends or doing the Five or or or, what, or, or promoting a book. So when I was when I was an announcer for for CBS. At any given moment, I was I, I, on my shoulder I, as a co-announcer with Eric Hyden or, or Greg LeMond, Scott Hamilton, uh, Tim Daggett, Billy Kidd, Jimmy Connors, Tracy Austin. I worked with all those guys. And so and, and they had, there was a commonality in what they did was that they were always overprepared. You know, I mean, it was just it, whatever you're preparing for. Yeah. Right. You just you, you, people are like, oh, man, how can I become an expert? You just have to read. You read, you read, you read. And, and when you come out on the other side of that. You really can do anything or practice, right? It's like that 10,000-hour 10, 10, 10, rule. 
Um, when, when nobody would take me seriously as a musician, I just said, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to practice for four hours a day, you know, and finally you believe in yourself because you're prepared. Yeah, and absolutely. And that was your second career. Your first career was as a broadcaster. So I want you to hear something. I, this is going on every day in LA and I was out in Santa Monica to do the Jim Gray special. So I was in and out in about 12 hours and I said, let me get breakfast before my shoot. I could not get breakfast. I drove around for 40 minutes. I finally found a hotel that's set up on a sidewalk. Uh, and they said they got closed a couple of times because cops walked by. So there's, I, I can't believe what you guys are living through. It's very similar to New York City, but Long Island is better. So I want you to hear these restaurateurs. I also worked in four different restaurants. My dad owned a bar. I know when he yeah. was shut down because a guy drunk got, got, got an accident for having phony ID and underage, everybody would be out of work. And there's no, there's no play with paycheck-to-paycheck people. So listen to this frustration in Los Angeles. This guy's name is Anton Van Patten as health inspectors walk in to shut him down. I followed the rules. I continue to follow the rules. And you guys still, time after time, are giving me citations, You're telling me I have to close my business. You're not what about my employees? You're not following the rules. I am following the rules. My tables are inside. Just because the health department has a whole process to go through that takes however long that takes, I have to close my business for that time? Who's gonna, are you going to pay my rent? There's no logic to what these guys are doing with your governors doing what our governors doing. They're getting they're drunk on power. Uh, we're in Target. We're at malls, but we can't go to a restaurant. What do you say to that guy, John, John Tesh? Well, I mean, the amazing thing is happening uh, across America right now is people are putting up GoFundMe pages to help these people because the government can't get it together to figure out how to get money to these guys. Um, I just say keep fighting. Keep fighting. Don't, you know, and especially for, I mean, I'm a conservative, you know, and it's, we, we can't, we, we can't sit back and say, oh, I'm just going to let this happen to me. You can't do it. You can't do it. And we, we have a, you know, a friend, Jack Hibbs, who has a church out here with 30,000 people in it. And he just said, sorry, you know, you can drag me out of here, but I'm going to have church services every Sunday. You know, I mean, people are wearing masks, but, but he just said, you know, I'm, you can't, you can't do it. And, and you got to stand up. You got to stand up and say, you know, I'm just going to quote the Constitution to you, and that's going to be the way I'm going to fight back. Absolutely. Uh, I also thought too about the entertainment industry, and even if you have a lot of money, you have a certain budget, so you have a certain lifestyle. Your lifestyle is getting paid. This pandemic hits thanks to China. Let's emphasize that. And all of a sudden, no one's shooting commercials. They're not shooting movies. They're not really auditioning. So Tom Cruise gets Mission Impossible rolling. I just want you to hear a little of it. His, he snapped sure. when he saw two of his guys high-five. We are the gold standard. You're back here in Hollywood making movies right now because of us. Because they believe in us and what we're doing. I'm on the phone with every studio at night. Insurance companies. Producers. And they're looking at us and using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs, you I don't ever want to see it again. <laughs> so, listen, listen, I'm going to go tell ahead. you something. I have two actors in my family, uh, you know, Connie and, uh, and Connie Selleck and Gibbs Gerard. And Gibbs is actually on a movie set right now. When I heard, I heard the audio, I didn't see anything, but I heard the audio of Tom Cruise. I, I immediately, I said, right on, Tom, right on, man, because... He's, he, he was right, you know. He's, he, it's, it's on him, and, and a lot of what's going to happen in Hollywood uh, overall is, is on him. So I was fine with him getting mad. I understand it, too, and I also I, – I don't know what you heard. You probably have met him. I have not, but I hear great things about him. 
that he's a really good person. Well, he's a, he, he's a, yeah, he's uh, yeah. I've interviewed him a couple of times for entertainment side. I mean, he's a he's a leader. You want to talk about <laughs> you want to talk about a guy who visualizes and just steps out. I mean, yeah, he's a he's he's a tough guy. You know, one of my other favorites is uh, is our two Navy SEALs, David Goggins and and Jocko Willink. You know, I follow those guys on YouTube and listen to them all the time. It you know, it's time for tough guys to rise up. I think. I think you have to, and I just I resent the fact that the people in charge are not worthy to be in charge. I'll follow McRaven. He earned his way up. I'm stuck with Cuomo. You're stuck with Gavin Newsom, who has the audacity, and you know it's not the first time, to go to the most expensive restaurant in the country while he tells us we can't go to work, we can't go to school, and we can't go to restaurants. So while he goes to a restaurant to celebrate a party with the health inspectors that are telling everyone we can't do all these things— they are not worthy of being our leaders. John, final thought on that? Yeah. Um, it cost me a television set because when I saw that, I ripped it off the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. What, what did you go through? I always thought you were a well-adjusted person anyway, obviously multi-talented, never got caught up in on the anchor of Entertainment Tonight, and I'm calling the Olympics. But when you had that that experience of fighting for your life, has it changed you substantially? Yeah. Uh, it, you know what it did? It was uh, – uh, there, there are many things that happened to me, but real quickly, um, it became a love story because my wife, Connie Selica, we've been married for 28 years, you know, fa- famous actress, a beautiful woman, you know, uh, could have had anybody in the world that she picked me. And she just dropped everything. And, and she took care of me and she made, and she went to every doctor's appointment and she challenged every, every treatment. And she found, you know, scriptures for us to, to, to help me get healed. And it, it ended up go, going from being in love with somebody to agape love, you know, and, and there are many marriages that break up when there's, when there's cancer, uh, a cancer diagnosis, especially as one as, 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 uh, as deeply uh, frightening as mine. But um, I, I just learned how, how much my wife loved me and how important my relationship was. It's called Relentless Unleashing, a life of purpose, grit, and faith. It's going to help everybody I'm listening, who's listening right now. This will help you. Uh, John Tesh, thanks so much for calling. And I hope to see you in the new year when we're allowed to travel and have a good time again. You need to know, and, and we do it very powerfully. Connie and I are praying for you because, man, you're a warrior and we love you. All right. Thanks so much. I'm honored. And I just know she had a big birthday. I'm not going to say the number. Uh, and I know you had a big celebration. <laughs> you, yeah, you did, a, you did a video for her. It was amazing. Thanks, man. I'll let you go. That's the least I could do. John Tesh, thank you so much. The multi-talented, faceted, uh, best-selling author, uh, sports anchor, entertainment anchor, and musician. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Is it true that you have never owned a computer or a cell phone? Yeah, somebody had to come and set this up because I I don't have a cell phone or a computer. Why don't you have one? Are you uh, morally, philosophically, emotionally opposed? No, no, I I just got to it too late. You know, I think I'm right at a certain age where it just passed me by. I never got involved in it because it would be strange to have, you know, any 10-year-old be much better at it than I, I am. So weird. That's Christopher Walken? Yeah, so he was on The Late Show, and he was talking about how he never interviewed Christopher Walken, so he obviously was done virtually. 
and he said that he needed people to come in and set up. He doesn't own. He's never. He doesn't even have a computer. He's never sent an email out. He's never sent a text out. And when they use cell phones, he says he has to borrow somebody's cell phone and have them dial. He doesn't even know how to use a cell phone. So, so is his thought problem? If I can't be great at it, or if someone think I rather rather than be bad at something, I would rather just not do it. He just said, basically, he's just passed him by. He's just an older person. I mean, that's just like above and beyond. Like, yeah, I don't know how to do it. I'm not going to learn. I that's a. I mean, I heard not being good at it, but all right. He said they use cell phones to keep track of him. Like, since they can't keep track of him on the set, they have others keep track of uh, track of where ah. he is on the set. So, by the way, we have some good news. The president is uh, telling John Roberts that he's adamant on delivering relief to workers, families, and small businesses before the holidays. Conversation with Capitol Hill leaders are going well. And they're optimistic to have a deal between 24 and 48 hours. And that's going to be $600 to $700 stimulus checks, $300 per week in extra jobless benefits and PPP funding. Good news. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.